Welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, where today will be part two of our summary of Whither Are We Traveling by Dwight Smith. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions via our website at theworkingtoolspodcast.com. Today on the Working Tools Podcast, we have our usual group of hosts. I'm Matt Apple, and I'm a member of Mill Creek Lodge 243 in Mon Lake Terrace, Washington. And we have Worshipful Brother Jared Dunham from Penticton Number 147 in Penticton, British Columbia. Very Worshipful Brother David Colbeth from King Solomon Number 60 in Auburn, Washington. And Worshipful Brother Stephen Chung from Prince Charles Number 153 in British Columbia, in Kelowna, British Columbia. And uh, so we left off last time saying that we're going to sort of start out by this episode by talking about some more specific art parts of the article or some of the subsections of the article and discussing our discussion of <laughs> discussion inception there. So I guess, uh, David, is there a, a, a part that you particularly feels feels to you like we should go over it again? Or well, we should as I was looking at the list of the titles and stuff, I, I really almost had a shorter list of things, sections I didn't like. Or didn't agree with necessarily, and uh, uh, the the one about the sounding brass or tinkling cymbal, the charity, the works. I mean, I, I agree that we should be doing works, but it just wasn't in my, in my necessarily a favorite. And the decline of fellowship the, the, under the festive board idea. It, well, I think it's important that we do those things, and I know that in, in Canada you incorporate that into the lodge meeting, which I think is really cool. Uh, I just don't know that. <sighs> But we it's it's interesting how we talk about how fellowship and the general fellowship of brothers isn't masonry, but then we say, oh, the festive board's a very important part of it. And so just going and breaking bread or having dinner with somebody isn't as important. It isn't masonry, but having a festive board is important, I guess. And so it was it's a little bit of dichotomy there for me on the idea of festive board and what race now. I understand that you may have a different purpose in your festive board. You're supposed to have a meaningful discussion about things, but you know, it just seemed to be a little bit contrary, but the, I, I think in good Masonic fashion, he alludes to the idea of, and in the, in the previous show, Matt said that he would wanted more, right? He wanted more instructions and more details, but I think he kind of in good Masonic fashion, he alludes to the idea that, Here's are the things that I think you could fix. Now go 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 about figuring out how to fix them. And I don't know that having a set of instructions is always yes we should be kind of taught and guided how to do things but if you just said oh here's the book of instruction here's how to be a mason then why would we need freemasonry just go read the book and do the thing in the book then it wouldn't be oh now we're perfect. We wouldn't need masonry as the concept right well especially considering that the whole point of this is to educate yourself and if they spoon feed you the information then you're not learning you're not going to educate yourself plus if he gives if he makes a list of this is how we'll fix it you you, you know that there's a, there's only going to be five guys that uh are going to agree with him exactly 
So, yeah, I, I think my, I think the one thing about these articles that still annoys me a little bit is is his constant harping on the master. You know, if your ritual is bad, it's the master's fault. Don't have education, it's the master's fault. You know, if your odd lodge officers aren't doing their jobs, it's the master's fault. And I'm, I mean, I agree that the master does guide the lodge, but if everything that's wrong with the lodge is laid at the master's feet, he's got way too much on his plate and no one else seems to be having anything. But to his defense, he does start off the whole thing by talking about the level of leadership, or the quality of leadership is lacking. But, in our yeah, system. no, but, and, and that, that, that's, but leadership isn't one person. I, I grant and that. how many and leader like the le lodge leadership is the past masters too so you can't just blame it on the current one you can't expect the upcoming ones to fix it everyone has to do this and you know i, I just i don't I, I just i just felt that he i felt very bad for whoever the master of his lodge is because you got this guy sitting on the back going oh, you're not doing it right <laughs> it must have been a bad year or a series of years <laughs> yeah but but symbolically, the master is the leader of the lodge, and so it, everything does. The, as they say, the buck stops here. The buck stops there, but the work shouldn't. It and, shouldn't. But, and but the blame. And the thing, a lodge, a lodge is not one person. The blame needs to be spread evenly among everyone. The blame. So, or the work, right? So, shouldn't he be a good leader in and then distribute the labor, right? And set the craft to work and make sure that they do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know what your year was like in the East, but you know, oh, it was why it was perfect. What perfect. are you talking about? I didn't. Nothing I get a second wrong. chance everyone, at it. Everyone, everyone showed chance. up. Everyone showed up to their to the meetings well prepared, and everyone did their jobs. You know, it's well, of uh, course. I just I felt bad for the master because it just seemed like he was he was the he was the main th reason things weren't working well. I, I think too, if I had to pick out one or two of the best, uh, my favorites, I, again, I put little asterisks almost next to every one of them, but I think the bread or stone, the quality of instruction, what are we really giving a new Mason? And and that ties right into being asleep at the West Gate and those kind of things. But that, and then also the idea of, this is controversial, the subdivided we stand. I think there's too many organizations. I just was on a call today and this lady was super excited about being raised to the grand level of whatever organization she's part of. And she's going to be super busy over the next five years. And I thought, yeah, now you're going to be pulled away from the organization that we're talking about right now. <laughs> and, and so it just frustrated me a little bit. It, it generally, it frustrates me, uh, even though well, I, I, I was at a uh, Scottish Rite reunion this weekend, a new, some, several new Masons are becoming Scottish Rite Masons. And I thought, Fortunately, from my particular lodge, and a little bit of pat on the back and brag, that the guys that attended that event all are part of our regular attendance. Matter of fact, a big pat on the back, the Sovereign Grand Inspector General, Al Jorgensen, who we've had on the show in the past, is a member of our lodge and is, of course, Sovereign Grand Inspector General of Washington, was at the event, but he couldn't be there for the first part because he was at another event. And so there's a little bit of that, but he is a kind of guy. He's a great example. He comes to our Blue Lodge meetings all the time. 
every once in a while, he will miss something. But he comes to our social events. He comes to our you know, bring, uh, uh, degrees. He comes to our meetings. He's he's definitely committed to Blue Lodge. Those guys are regular attendees of your lodge now, but uh, now they've they've tasted the Scottish right honey. They're gonna. Sorry, I, the guys that were that were there to visit. We only it was only only had one guy coming through in our from our lodge, uh, but there were several of us that came to support him and a couple of guys that were in the degrees. I actually haven't participated in any Scottish right degrees yet, other than as a participant as a, or as an observer. But there were several of us that came to support him, and a couple of guys were in it. But they're again, they're all active in the Blue Lodge, and I think they all believe that Blue Lodge is the cornerstone. There, maybe there's a little bit, a, a little, quite a bit more recruiting going on that I would prefer necessarily, but, uh, but I think there we all are mindful of the activity and not trying to supplant Blue Lodge or Scottish Rite or something else. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any other sections that you guys liked? That's what I was, exactly what I was just going to ask. Is Jared, Steve, did you guys have specific thoughts? Well, we all know I like the section where he says, get dressed better to go to lodge. I really... It's, and once again today, it was... In, it's oh, my, I, my house is... I, I'm like half a block down from the Catholic Church. So I'm always grumbling on Sundays whenever we go out and can't come back and there's no parking on the street. But that's beside the point. But it's, I'm always... I can remember when I went to church as a child. And if I went to church dressed in what people, I see people walking by my house in my grandmother would have boxed my ears. And it's the same thing with lodge is that you, I know. And, and in the article, it said, you know, we, we, we judge no man by his outward appearance, but yes, we do. I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, we do. <laughs> That that and and it and it's it's not and we we shouldn't judge just by their outward appearance, but your outward appearance is important. And if you're showing up, you know, we should have a higher we should have a a higher expectation of what people wear to lodge. I mean, in in this day and age, it really shouldn't. I mean, if it's a burden to buy a suit, it's probably a burden to pay your lodge dues. And maybe being a Mason is is at this point in your life not a viable option. So that was yeah, one that, that that's the one that resonated with me the most was you know dress better for lodge. Well, and, and expect more. You know, keep your standards high, right? But um, I, I do, <clears throat> even though I've I've been known to show up at lodge wearing shorts and. And and a, and, a, and a holiday shirt and flip flops, but I was dragged there that way and told to come, because <clears throat> generally, and, and I did feel uncomfortable at, at, at the thought of going in dressed like that because I, I've you know ever since I was an officer I was wore a tuxedo, right, and then even after uh, not being in an officer's chair, well, let me see. It's not very often since, but um, at worst, wearing a dark suit, right? Um, and yeah, we should hold those standards. And you're right. If it, if it's too much of a financial burden, they're probably not in the right place. Yeah. And, and the idea of 
don't reduce the lodge back to what we think the current, like you were saying, the 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 the, the, stand, the current environment for humanity is much more casual these days. And so, oh, we'll just be acceptant and allow the standard to be reduced. And he says, no, bring that back, bring that back to what it is. And we, with on the Grandmasters conversation, we alluded to the event we just attended, the Grand the Grandmasonic Day. The speaker there, who whose book we're going to be talking about in the next segments, he uh, was talking about how in one of in their lodge they were they're trying to learn and be become proficient in a Scottish lodge. If I'm correct, if I'm not mistaken and to be one of only 10 in the world to be able to or 11th or something anyway what a very small number to be proficient in this and i think he alluded or he said it directly that there one night they were they got together and there was a very few of them and there wasn't a big suite or big crew to be able to open lodge and one of the guys kind of said hey do we really need to do all this i guess they're going to they have to process in and do a whole program and he said, yes, we are going to do this. If I have to process him by myself and look at myself, I'm going to do this. And he, he, I don't, at first I was thought, well, that's really pompous. But then I realized, wait a minute, he's just bringing the standard up to the line, line up to the standard and not the other way around, right? He's saying, no, we are going to hold this. And I think in, the, in this article, as well as other ones, it talks about, like you mentioned, the dark suit or the, the proper dress should be the minimum. And I, I have, we've always said in our lodge, Hey, if you're coming from work, we'd rather have you there and not than not come, even if you don't have your suit with you. But I wonder if we said, no, we want you in your dark suit. Would a guy prepare more potentially? He might. Uh, and I think that is, I, I think the sentiment is no, we want you to come, but the expectation is that you prepare. Well, it should be like like Stephen on that one occasion where he went to lodge in in shorts and a flip flop. He he knew in his heart he knew it was he was doing something he should well not shouldn't be doing, but like he, he it felt wrong to him because he knew, you know, the standard that he and if and the same thing with your, your your brother that you know if they're coming straight from work and that that's part of the lesson of the 24 inch gauge is time management and really how hard is it to put your suit in your car and take it to work with you. And when you get to the lodge, change into your suit. If, if you don't, you know, like, yeah, expectations and uh, expect, well, once again, this whole article is about expecting more. Like we, you know, if, if you, if you settle, then you're this, this is what you get when you settle, expect more from people, expect more from your brothers, expect more from Freemasonry. And when you expect more, you will eventually get more. Yeah. Exactly. Then you expect more after you get more, and then you expect more after you, and it just becomes efficient. No. And, you know, when I, when I was uh, more on the road with the sales, you know, on, on lodge nights, <clears throat> or even if there was a chance I was going to an area and I was still going to be there and for lodge uh, that night, uh, and I could do a visitation, I, I would throw a suit in the car and hang it up in the car and take it with me just in case. Right. Sometimes I forget my apron, but not usually. <laughs> and then uh, uh, at least I'm prepared to at least get changed when I get there. Right. Um, 
because even business casual slacks and a, and a, and a shirt and tie uh, is still feeling underdressed to me going to launch. Right. So, um, you know, then I learned, Hey, if I got black slacks, a decent shirt, all I really need to throw in the car is a, is a, is a sport coat or, or, or a black jacket of some sort to, to make it look okay. Right. And, uh, you know, you find ways around it so that you can, be properly dressed when you go to visit or or uh, go to lodge, right? So, yeah, I think it's that twenty-four inch gauge lesson, right? Be prepared, right? Manage your time so that you can do these things. Yeah, recently I saw, I don't remember exactly what lodge <clears throat> in Washington. There was a degree that had occurred, and they were all excited that they had brought these. I think it was even a second degree, so it wasn't just a, a first one, and. I, at first, I, when I looked at the group, the grouping of brethren, of course, they were excited. They had done this degree, but I couldn't quite tell who was the candidate versus who was the Masons because you know sometimes a candidate maybe won't, and maybe it was a first degree. It must have been a first degree because some of them, sometimes they don't come in a full suit, right? They come maybe in a button shirt or something because they aren't, maybe either aren't instructed on how they should arrive or they just don't haven't purchased it yet or whatever the reasons are. They don't come maybe with a polo shirt on, but there were several guys with you know, checkered shirts or polo shirts or things on. And then there were some with suits and some with tuxes. And I think, boy, this is a real, I, I remember the first time I'm coming in my lodge building, my, my temple building thinking, oh, this is cool. I get to see behind the doors. I've never, you know, as a, as a new guy coming in before I was a Mason and walking in and thinking, oh, that paneling's from 1960. And, and then the carpet was a different color. And then the, went into they showed me the, the lodge room, the ceremony room. It was cool to go look behind the lodge room doors, but it was, you know, six different colors of, of chairs and four different colors on the walls. And it was not a really beautiful room. <laughs> and I thought, Ooh, this is cool, but really, this is the secrets of masonry. And so I, I kind of look at that a little bit in that dress and think, do they not know who they are and what they're representing and what are they, what experience are they giving to this new, these new candidates? And even if it was a second degree, that's even a little bit worse in my opinion. What are they showing to this guy? Now, if it was one guy in the back and again, he came from work and, or some, some reason there was emergency or some guy was camping and he had flip-flops and shorts on, uh, that might be a different situation. And not all lodges are like that. There's many, of course, that I see that are fully dressed and fully prepared. But it's just interesting to, to, to see some of these lodges. That, And I know in other jurisdictions I've seen across on social media, the wide variety of dress. And I think, wow, that's an interesting culture. I'd be curious to know more about that lodge. <laughs> and it's not necessarily like in Hawaii they wear Aloha wear. That's their formal where or in other parts of the world they do they have a kind of certain dress that matches with their culture so to speak and their environment and so maybe a different situation a three-piece tuxedo might be a little bit hot in some locations but you know if they were all matching or all similar i don't know it's my sesame street jays one of these kids is doing his own thing <laughs> and that might so be are there it. other parts that people people particularly remember reacting to that we should re-rehash or I'm getting a lot of contemplative looks 
Well, there you go. As I said at the time, I I really enjoyed the um the actually David just mentioned it a minute ago the the uh, bring the line up to the standard, not the standard back to the line thing. But there's a part of me that has a I I enjoyed that imagery and I found it powerful, but I don't know that. If I were the the commander of that military unit, I would go, yeah. Except we're a whole line of soldiers over here. You know, you get back over here, dude. So it's a <laughs> the story kind of loses it with that one, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah that article that article that portion of the article I found interesting and powerful, but I don't know that it, it, I found it to be very powerful on first glance, and then as I thought about it more, I saw that eh, you know. I, I I like the idea of that that it only takes one, so to speak, and then if if you ever y'all have seen the Demolay Light Ceremony of Light uh, ritual, it's really kind of as talk about powerful. It's a if especially in a dark room where they go through and they'll talk about the necessities of life and the things the the, the virtues that hold Demolay high, and then they talk about the world that closes in on them, and they. Extinguish all the candles, and so it becomes a dark room. And then they say, "But if one man, one boy, one person can bring light, then he can pass that to another." And then they then together go around and light the candles, and pretty soon it's illuminated. And yeah, it's a little bit corny, but it's to get the idea that it does just take one person. And so if that guy with the standard. I like the vision too. If the if the guy with the standard is like, uh, come on, please. <laughs> and you know, if he wasn't racing forward and wasn't waving the standard, wasn't waving the banner, then w- there wouldn't be anything else to motivate somebody else. And it maybe he motivates one guy at the other end and he goes, Okay, go. I mean in years and years and years ago, I had been part of some uh political teachings on how to do political rallies and political motivation stuff and but it was really about crowd control and they said if you want to if you if you're having a speech and you want to in in induce uh applause have people staged throughout the crowd and have them start clapping and magically everybody would clap and so it's the same idea if you have one guy with a standard and then he convinces one other person he convinces another person and pretty soon there's enough of them, and then everybody's convinced, and you move forward. Uh, now, maybe the general could stop them, but uh, I, I think I think you do have to be conscious. You're right, conscious of where you are in the field of battle, so to speak, or whatever you're trying to achieve. Uh, but you also have to have that motivation to step out and try to drive things forward. And if there's enough of us doing that, then hopefully society would follow. So I guess part of the question I have now is now that we've read this 60 year old article, is the state of Freemasonry as bad now as it was back then? Have we made strides? Well, that's, that's crickets. That's <laughs> bad, man. <laughs> I hate last, last episode. I already said that. I think up here we have that we're there. We're heading in the right direction. So I th- I think there's some, some semblance of that in some areas. I don't know that all areas. I don't. I. I don't think we'd be talking about it if we thought we were all perfect, though, right? <laughs> it wouldn't be as juicy of a topic. No. And and as as I've alluded to a few times, is the next 
book we're going to talk about really alludes to that. And that wasn't for 60 years ago, 40, 50 years ago. That was just 15 years ago, 20 years ago that he wrote that. So, uh, and, and we're now talking about it again. There's a little bit of a renaissance of it again. And so we're already, and maybe it's just a level of uh, consciousness, right? Maybe it's that we're 10 years ago, we didn't think about it too much. or didn't care about it too much, but now it's like, Hey, there, we, let's, let's get this back. And there's, I mean, there's enough of us or there's fewer, there's, a, there's a few, few of us enough. That's true. That could be, that maybe we've hit that point where we had to get rid of some of the chaff in order for us to, you know, get to the wheat. Is that the right imagery? Am I using that right? <laughs> that, that's well, Oh, Freemasonry isn't dying. It's refining. We, we talked yes. about that article, right? There we go. So, yeah. I mean, maybe that's the thing is that, you know, 60 years ago at the height, you know, 1963, when our jurisdiction is, was at the height of its population, you know, it, was, that, it, it wasn't the right time to be talking about this. 30 years ago, sorry, 20 some odd, not quite 30, almost 30 years ago when I joined, you know, they were still talking about, you know, the decline in membership and, but maybe there were still too many then. Maybe we are finally at the point where, you know, we can get down to the job of actually refining what we have left. We've hit rock bottom. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> we've hit the rock at the bottom. <laughs> we've got, we're at the quarry. We're at the bottom of the quarry. <laughs> now, now to build the steps out. <laughs> Well, with that positive imagery, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I agree. I, I think I think that they're you're right. I think we are refined to the point. I like that, Matt. As that we're not refining, we're not dying. We're refining. I I agree with that. All right, and so uh, on that note, it seems that we've about ground to a halt in our conversation of the the uh, whither are we traveling uh, series of articles. So. Uh, I want to say I've, I've enjoyed talking about it. I encourage people to go read it for themselves or listen to, as I said earlier, Jared's uh, mellifluous tones as he erudically speaks the words of, of Dwight Smith. And as David has alluded to several times now, we're, our next thing that we're going to be talking about is Observing the Craft. Uh, it's a book from, I think I want to say 2010 from Andrew Hammer. 2010. 2009. About 15, 10, 15 years yeah. ago. Don't do, <laughs> you don't, a, don't do math on there. <laughs> from from, well, uh, two, any, from you, you have to subtract two years in there because they didn't happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so by a gentleman named Andrew Hammer, uh, who three quarters of us got to hear speak a couple weeks ago back at uh, Grand Masonic Day. And Jared missed it. And so he's sad and pouty. But it was... Uh, it was definitely illuminating and it's an interesting book. I, I read it several years ago and I'm, I'm currently rereading it for the purposes of our discussion here. It's, um, but I encourage folks to go out and, and find themselves a copy. I'm sure if you don't feel like buying one, I'm sure a Mason, you know, has one because it, it, it's, it's around. Jared has the pretty blue leather copy. If you want to, if you want to borrow it from him, he's got, he won't let you have it because he likes it. Exactly. He won't let you have it because he likes it too much. But uh, so there are a couple of editions floating around and it's uh, what we're going to be discussing next. So next time we'll probably be discussing the, the intro. Uh, maybe we'll do the first chapter depending on, on how far we get. He, he does, and as usual. I was going to, sorry to interject, Matt, but he does on his website as well have some, some PDF papers of uh, things he talks about that he te technically left out of the book, but 
the eight steps to Lodge Excellence are Observant Lodge are a great synopsis of what the book is about as well. And that's available for you on his website. And there you go. What's in the website is Yeah, of course you'd ask me that. I don't have that. Interrupt me, huh? <laughs> search for Observant Craft. Uh, I know it's out there. All right. So uh, with that, we encourage you to, to start reading the book now because we'll be discussing it soon here. And we encourage you also to to let us know what you think of our our, our discussions and our commentary. And uh, we thank you all for listening to the Working Tools Podcast. On behalf of Jared and Stephen and David and myself, thanks for coming along. Goodbye. Goodbye.